Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week one in the Sun Belt is here. No Sun Belt teams played in week zero, so this is the official start of the season for the league. Caden and I could not be more excited to start talking some actual football. Before we do just that, though, we wanted to tell you about our recently completed Sunbelt season preview series. It featured interviews with all 14 Sunbelt head coaches, as well as in-depth breakdowns for each team. We recorded over 12 hours of season preview content. If you're looking to get ready for week one in the Sunbelt, we'd highly recommend giving them a listen before your team takes the field on Saturday. Today on episode 110 of the show, we are excited to preview our game of the week between South Alabama and 24th ranked Tulane. We're also going to talk Coastal's matchup at UCLA. We're going to touch on App State and JMU's FCS matchups as well. We'll also make our picks for all this weekend's matchups against FBS opponents. Caden, it's a big weekend, the official return of Sunbelt football. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your excitement level heading into the weekend? Oh, it, it's it's breaking the scale. We've got to be in the 12 or at least the 13s here. I've talked to you a little bit before about the podcast and just getting into this season. And I've kind of been a little hesitant to get into the season because I know this is our busy time of the year where thing, p- things pick up. But now that we're here, I'm ready to fully jump off the deep end and get into this year. I'm very excited for talking season to be over and finally watch these teams strap it up and play. I feel a little bit like myself back in the day about to play in a game, just in anticipation for this football action we get from the Sunbelt this weekend. Yeah, I don't know about you, but it's been a little bit tough to go to sleep at night. Just the anticipation. It feels like Christmas uh, is right around the corner. Well, as promised, we'll be previewing the top matchups for the upcoming weekend in the Sunbelt. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to jump right into today's show. All right, everyone, as promised, we're previewing the top matchups in the Sun Belt's opening weekend, and we wanted to leave you with a couple of quick notes. Uh, great stat from Southern Miss Beat Reporter on Twitter, Scott Watkins. The Sun Belt has actually has the longest FCS win streak. They've won 16 consecutive games. They are going to play eight games versus FCS opponents this weekend. Not really many of those games I'm overly concerned about, so that win streak could jump into the 20s. And then of the remaining six games versus FBS opponents, the Sun Belt is not favored this weekend. We'll certainly talk about that more as we get into today's episode. But, Caden, we're going to go ahead and start, as we should, with our game of the week. It's going to feature South Alabama at number 24, Tulane. This game's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. It takes place on ESPNU on Saturday night. Tulane Caden comes into this game, the reigning Cotton Bowl champions. They defeated USC in quite the comeback a season ago, winning that matchup 46-45. to Meanwhile, this South Alabama team is coming off their first 10-win campaign at the FBS level. Caden, this game is going to be electric. It could very easily be the premier game in the group of five this year. And Caden, we've got a fantastic quarterback matchup. I want to touch on that first. You've got Carter Bradley versus Michael Pratt in this game. Two of arguably probably the top five quarterbacks in the group of five this year outside of, say, a Grayson McCall at Coastal and Austin Reed at Western Kentucky. Bradley threw for north of 3,300 yards a season ago. He had career best 28 touchdowns, although he did throw 12 interceptions, completed 65% of his passes. Okay, Michael Pratt also threw for north of 3,000 yards. He finished with 27 touchdowns and five interceptions while completing 65% of his passes. 
What do you want to see from these two quarterbacks in this starstruck matchup here to begin the year? I simply want to see their best, Noah. I see a premier quarterback matchup, yes, at the group of five level, but I think as well nationally, I think you can, I can assure you that there's going to be NFL scouts at this game, plenty of players in this game to watch, but they're going to mainly be there to watch these quarterbacks. And in this matchup, I think for me, it's more of like the man versus the machine. I love Carter Bradley. We've spoken so highly about him this offseason, and we met the guy at Media Days, and he's been a regular guest on this podcast. I think he is the one that leads USA to the conference championship this year. We've talked about how I feel about South Alabama heading into this year, and a lot of that has to do with Carter Bradley. But Michael Pratt is the man right now. I think when you look at the group of five level, if you're coming off of that combo, when you kind of have that belt, is the man, is that guy to lead your team kind of through the dust, through the ashes, through the group of five level and take your team to, to that win. But I think, look, Carter threw for slightly more yards than this guy last year and touchdowns as well. But the biggest thing that kind of worries me with Michael Pratt in this game is his legs and his ability just to play well in big games. He had nearly 500 yards on the ground last season in 10 rushing touchdowns. He gave teams the business with his legs, especially in the red zone. That's definitely a threat. And he just played big in big games. He had five total scores in their conference championship game. He rose to the occasion and made the plays they had to to win in that Cotton Bowl game against USC. But Carter has the machine on his side. We talk about it, and we'll talk about it more moving forward. The depth on this team on both sides of the ball is always going to work in Carter's favor, I think, this season. You look at that two-headed monster at running back we've talked about all offseason. He only loses one of those top three targets from last year. He has four guys on the offensive line, and most importantly, I think, is going to be that defense. We like to talk quarterback matchups, but at the end of the day, Pratt's going to have to step up against the South Alabama defense, who we think is going to be one of the best in the entire conference this year. And I think Carter Bradley in this game, he's going to have to wear a lot smaller of a Superman cape, I think, versus Pratt, who might have to put it on big this year. You talk about what he loses on his offensive side of the ball. Tajay Spears, who was an elite running back last year, his top two targets by far at the wide receiver position. And this defense is looking a little bit more decimated than last season. So I think when you look at this matchup with these quarterbacks, whatever slight edge I might be willing to give to Michael Pratt, just given the pedigree and what he showed last year, especially with his legs, I can give it right back to Carter, just given the personnel he has. And overall, that just makes me really excited about this matchup, watching these two quarterbacks duke it out. Kane, you said it best. We just want to see these two quarterbacks put their full games on full display. I think that would be huge for not only the Sun Belt, the group of five, uh, if this matchup turns out to be as good as many people think it would. Kane, you talked about some of the weapons, and particularly for South Alabama, looking at this matchup, I feel like they have an advantage at wide receiver. You're bringing back two of your top three guys. Jalen Wayne's now playing in the league, but you also add Javon Ivory from Memphis. Meanwhile, you look at this two-lane secondary, and they lost some big names. Jarius Monroe is back at at left corner. He was first-team all-conference last year, and you also bring in Cam Podesclo, who Sunbelt fans are familiar with. He played uh, at Louisiana. Caden, do you see the South Alabama wide receivers having a big game against this two-lane defense? I do, and I think this is another thing that can also just benefit Carter heading into this game. He's going up against a defense all offseason that's much better than Tulane's defense, I think, just on paper heading into this season. You just have to call it like you see it, and I think the same goes for these South Alabama wide receivers. They faced one of the best defensive backfields in the entire group of five, arguably the entire country, every single year at practice. We talked in the offseason about how a guy like Yam Banks is roommates with Colin Lacey. He goes up against that guy every single day. I think this wide receiving group already we were high on, but the fact that they've been sharpening iron the entire offseason going against that defensive backfield 
makes me feel great. This two-lane secondary was great last year. I cannot lie, but a lot of the experts think that the secondary is going to take a step back last year after losing some guys. They have some cornerbacks that you mentioned have a little bit more experience that started some games last year for this team, but they got a little bit decimated at safety. They had to have some transfer portal additions, so I expect maybe some plays across the middle and that middle hash area to be there for this South Alabama wide receiving core. And I'm just most excited to see who's going to emerge with the absence of Jalen Wayne. We talk about Devin Voice and, and Cullen Lacey. We know what they're about. We know that they're going to do their thing. But the question is going to be, who's going to emerge in game one? Who's going to set the tone? Could it be either one of those guys? Could it be Javon Ivory? Do we see him have a potential breakout game in his South Alabama debut? Can he be kind of that third head in this potential three-headed monster? So I think this receiving core has a great game. It's just a matter of who does it and who operates the best against this defense. Okay, and the other aspect of this matchup that has me really excited is the battle that we will see inside the trenches. Tulane's bringing back four offensive line starters, and some have called this the best offensive line that Tulane has had under head coach Willie Fritz. Uh, They're also bringing back seven of nine guys on that defensive line. Meanwhile, you flip to the other side for South Alabama, they're also bringing back four offensive line starters, but it's been reshuffled a little bit because your starting center, James Jackson, is not back this year. They are bringing back seven of their eight top tacklers on that defensive line, plus Quentin Wilfon is sliding down to that wolf role. Kane, it feels like this game could very easily be decided in the trenches. Yeah, the trenches are always big, and I think it's going to be especially big in this one. I think given Tulane's offensive line, I think that's by far their strongest unit. And I could see a universe where just them acting as a steady force for this offense can keep them in the game a lot longer, possibly if South Alabama can get the upper hand at any point and kind of break in some of their newer skill players as well. Michael Pratt having time in the pocket can go a long way for this team. So I'm curious to see that battle between their offensive line that's more experienced and this experienced front seven on on South Alabama side. Can they generate pressure? Can they make Pratt uncomfortable. I think their run-stopping ability will play in their favor. I trust Trey Kaiser and James Miller, that linebacking duo, to get things set up up front in that size to really take advantage in the run game. But can they create some third and longs? And when they do that, can they keep Pratt contained? And I think on the flip side, Tulane has some questions to answer with their front, which is great news for South Alabama. There's some newer faces on their defensive front. So I really think it gives South Alabama's offense the opportunity to kind of throw the first punch out here. I think you have some doubts as far as experience, but there's no doubts as far as what LaDamian Webb and Brandon McReynolds are going to be able to do. So I expect them to kind of set the tone up front, maybe punch them in the mouth first. The question is going to be, can they better protect Carter Bradley? He was under some heat last year. He got sacked three times. Can they maybe protect him better and really, really open things up for this offense? Caden, quickly looking further at that defensive side of the ball, these two teams, South Alabama and Tulane, they bring back a combined 17 starters on that side of the football. Which defense do you feel like has the advantage? You have to give it to South Alabama. We touched on it before, bringing back nine starters on the defense compared to taking away five of your leading tacklers. You just cannot, on paper, watching it with your eyes, you just can't give it to Tulane compared to South Alabama. South Alabama is going to be solid up front, like we mentioned. I love the linebacking duo, like we mentioned. And they have too many players to play on the secondary. They're going to be loaded right there. So I think top to bottom, that's where they're going to have the upper hand. And I think it's just hard to, we'll get more into our picks and our lines and stuff. But with this this solid South Alabama defense who we can rely on. I think they're going to take this team a long way in the season and a long way in this game. Okay, now I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Let's make our first pick of this season. Uh, Looking at this game, Tulane is the current favorite six and a half points according to Las Vegas. Over under sits at 52. And Caden, because this is the first week one preview of the year, I'm going to let you go first because you called your shot with South Alabama last year. 
I called it then and I'm calling it for week one. I think USA covers and they win in this game. I think that they're showing up with this one motivated. I think they know they have the best team that they've had in a long time on their hands. And there's just too much returning depth on this team compared to Tulane. I think these windows for Cotton Bowl teams are very small. And I think Tulane had their best year last season. And I think this year they take a step back and South Alabama takes a step forward. I'm taking the under on the points though. I think that South Alabama defense shows up maybe more than we even expect and can really contain this Tulane team and keep the points down in this one. Hey, similar to you, Caden, I've got South Alabama winning this game. A lot of excitement, though. They're going to win in overtime in this game. I'm also taking the over here because when you look at these two teams, you combine their points per game totals from last year. It was almost 70. The over-under sits at 52. I do think both offenses will show up in this game, so give me South Alabama to win. I'm also going to take the over in this matchup. Well, that's our first picks of the year, Caden. First uh, matchup preview to the year, and Continuing the trend now, we'll move on quickly. And next up, we are going to talk about this Coastal game against uh, UCLA. Caden, a little bit of Sunbelt football after dark, Pac-12 after dark for the last season, probably. Uh, this game's going to take place at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 Central on ESPN. This will be the first time that Coastal has ever played a Pac-12 opponent in their program history. It's probably the last year that anyone will ever play a Pac-12 opponent with the way things are looking. Caden, UCLA, they're coming off of a nine-win season uh, in 2022, Coastal as well. Again, I want to start by talking about the quarterback position because in this matchup, Caden, you really have two very different styles. You've got Ethan Garbers, who won the job in fall camp. He had come into fall camp as kind of that third-string quarterback. A lot of people were expecting Dante Moore, the, ta the talented uh, young player, to take over. He does not win the job. Garbers is going up against Grayson McCall, who our listeners know, the three-time Sunbelt Player of the Year. Garbers kind of served as Dorian Thompson-Robinson's backup last year through two touchdowns, two interceptions in six games. Caden, the Shot Show, which is a must-follow if you're a Coastal football fan on Twitter. They had a great graphic, and they actually compared the stats between Garbers and Grayson. Grayson, I mentioned Garbers' stats. Grayson has thrown for over 8,000 career yards, 95 career touchdowns. It feels like going into this match, it's probably advantage Coastal at the quarterback position, Caden. Yeah, big play Gray in this one I think is going to be huge. I'm very excited to see him in this new offensive scheme and very eager to see what Tim Beck and Travis Trickett have cooked up. And I think this is an especially big game for Grayson McCall, in my opinion, because I don't think he has that signature per performance against a Power 5 opponent yet on his loaded resume. He's taking care of everything else. But if you look just back at it, they had a home and home with Kansas in 20 and 2021. And those teams won zero games in two games that season. I'm not going to really count that as that statement win. And when they played a BYU team in 2020 that was ranked, that's now in the Power 5, being in the Big 12. Coastal won, but Grayson did not play a great game in that one. He only had 85 yards and failed to reach the end zone. I think this is the only thing missing from his resume as far as a quarterback goes. I think he goes out here and tries to perform well. Very excited to see it. And on the flip side, you talk about it. Ethan Garbers wins this quarterback battle when he started off as the third string quarterback. He beats out Dante Moore, who you mentioned is that five-star top two or three quarterback in the country coming as a freshman. And they brought in a transfer from Kent State that was also at the quarterback position. He emerges from the darkness. He beats all those guys out. And he only has career one career start under his belt as limited reps. Obviously, I think Grayson's more prepped and ready for this stage, maybe even a little bit more motivated to kind of end on a high note for this year and start it off the right way in this season. I think more of the question that we'll probably get into is these quarterbacks matchups against the defenses they're facing. Yeah, no, we will get to that uh, shortly. Uh, but Kane, before we do, I want to talk about what I think are going to be two really good running back rooms this year. 
Coastal's bringing back their top four backs, Beasley, Bennett, White, and Balthazar. Uh, they ran for 159 yards per game uh, last year. The success, though, for this unit really hinges kind of on that reworked offensive line for Coastal. Meanwhile, you look at UCLA, they lost their four-team All-American, Zach Charbonnet, who ran for 1,359 yards last year as well as 14 touchdowns. They replaced him, though, with Carson Steele, who was arguably one of the best gets in the transfer portal this offseason. He was also a four-team All-American at Ball State. They also brought in Army transfer Anthony Atkins. Caden, this is a UCLA team that's run for 215-plus yards per game the last two years. They've got a top-20 offensive line. And looking at this unit, I feel like it might cause Coastal Carolina a little bit of trouble in this matchup. Yeah, starting with Coastal, I mean, you look at their three-headed monster that they're bringing back at the position. You're just hoping that they can stay healthy this year. Thankfully, in week one, we know all three of these guys are healthy. So Tim Beck's going to have all three of his workhorse running backs at their disposal who have all shown little flashes of differences in their game. I just love that they have a power back, a speed back. They have a little bit of everything, some guys that can catch out of the backfield as well. So I'm very excited. I think the biggest question for that unit is going to be, has this new offensive scheme translate? We're going to talk more about UCLA's nasty defensive front. And I think given the run scheme they had last year, that was a great scheme as far as keeping defensive fronts on their toes, keeping them moving east and west and creating those rushing lanes north and south. So I'm very curious to see all three of these running backs in a new scheme. You have to imagine that at least a couple of them can pop and make some great runs. But on the flip side, Chip Kelly is going to run the ball. Zach Charbonnet was an absolute monster for this team the last couple of seasons. You mentioned the transfer portal additions. But I think you might be able to give just from a positional standpoint, Coastal Carolina, the advantage here just because of the continuity of the room and what they have. I think that UCLA is going to usually be able to do their thing like they do running the ball. But I think a lot of responsibility is going to be on those guys in the front seven. But I think we are a little bit more higher on as a defense compared to that secondary for Coastal. I think JT Killen, Shane Bruce, Griffiths, and Mason up front, who I'm really excited to see, could do a good job of hopefully suppressing and sustaining this run game and these new UCLA running backs as they try to break in and make their debut with the Bruins. Yeah, there will certainly be a lot of pressure on that coastal defensive line in this matchup. And Caden, here's where we transition to talk defense. Uh, I feel like UCLA has the advantage in this matchup. They're bringing back nine starters from last year's unit. Coastal's bringing back six guys. UCLA's strength is really up front at the linebacker position. This is a team that averaged 29 points per game allowed last year, but just 130 yards per game on the ground. Coastal allowed just over 31 points per game, which was their most in the last five seasons. Kane, do you feel like Coastal's defense can step up against this UCLA offense? I really, really hope so. It's the biggest question mark of this team this entire year. And I think getting thrown into this matchup with UCLA is definitely going to be a large test for them. The good news is very much like Old Dominion, how we talked about in this conference. UCLA lost their leading rusher, their leading thrower, and their leading catcher. Those are all guys that are in the NFL now. They were fantastic players. So this offense is going to maybe have to get their feet wet a little bit, but Chip Kelly's offensive schemes are just always primed and prepped to put up points, be effective in the run and pass game. And I think there is a chance that they could possibly show this Coastal Carolina defense some things they haven't seen before and possibly put them in a blunder, especially on the back end. And I think on the flip side, we talked about the quarterback matchup. We love Grayson McCall compared to UCLA's quarterback just on paper, what they've done. But as far as the defenses they're facing, it's night and day. I think this UCLA team that we're seeing now, people are saying it's the most stacked defensive line of the Chip Kelly era. The question is going to be, can this offensive line protect Grayson? 
be able to get some push up front and hopefully just sustain things and make things easier for him at the quarterback position. In the previous scheme, like I mentioned before, it was a little bit more deceptive. You can kind of keep some of those edge players on the defense on their toes and keep some hesitation. I think there's going to be a big responsibility as far as Tim Beck and Travis Trickett scheming up an offense that can hopefully give UCLA's defense some problems, some headaches, and not let their talent show up front that they have with that side speed and strength. They protected Grayson well last year, so I'm not really overly concerned about that. I'm far more concerned about if UCLA's offense can be very effective against this Coastal Carolina defense, who showed us at times last year they can struggle. Caden, as I did my prep for this episode, the one thing that really stood out to me in this matchup is the receiver play, and I am really excited about both of these teams' receivers. Coastal's bringing back Pinckney, Mobley, Brown back as you know some of their top threats. UCLA did lose their top three receivers, but they bring in Cal's top target, uh, Michael Sturdivant. They also bring in Kyle Ford from USC. Both teams averaged over 250 yards per game through the air uh, a season ago. Caden, I really think we're going to see a lot of offense in this matchup, and these wide receivers could be on full display. I hope we do too. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with what we just talked about. Can these teams up front protect their quarterbacks enough to let these receivers that are very talented operate and cook within their scheme? I think when you look at what UCLA is inheriting and having to break those guys in versus Coastal Carolina having to break in a new scheme, it kind of breaks even as far as both of the receiver groups in this matchup. You mentioned it. Having Pickney back, having Jared Brown as that Swiss Army knife tool, having Mobley is huge for this team, but this is the first time we're going to see them in this new offensive scheme. Very curious to see how they use Jared Brown in particular. We know Pickney out wide is going to be able to win his one-on-one matchups, take the top off the defense, and really spread things out for this team. The question is, are they going to use Jared Brown in the run game a little bit? Are they going to try to get him in different opportunities in space against some of UCLA's skill players? Very excited to see him in this matchup. But for UCLA, I think they're going to have some continuity problems. You see a lot of Pac-12 transfer portal movements, particularly at the skill positions, and it's kind of a coin flip if it works out or not. I think the USC transfer is going to do some big things, and that does worry me against the secondary that has been a lot less proven last year and has some things to prove this offseason. But I think overall, when you look at the receiver matchup, it's going to be a dead even one. And I'm very excited to see both units kind of try to get their best foot forward as new units, whether that's a new system or kind of a new group as a whole. Yeah, great point too there, Caden. This will be the first time that we get to see this new offensive system that we've uh, spent the offseason opining about. So it will be exciting to watch. Caden, let's make our predictions here. Uh, UCLA is a 14 and a half point favorite. Over under sits at 66. I'm going to go first here. I've got UCLA winning this game, but it's only going to be by a touchdown in my opinion. I think that we saw what South Alabama did to this team a year ago, playing a close game out in Pasadena. I feel like Coastal Carolina can do the same thing. I've got them covering in this matchup. I think ultimately it's UCLA's defense that's the tipping point. I am going to take the the under in this game. One more thing about this matchup, UCLA, they're actually 6-2 and two at home last year when they were favored, uh, or you know overall, but they were just 2-3 and three when favored at home last year. So I'll leave you with that as you make your pick. Very similar to pick, pick to you, Noah. I think UCLA wins this game, but I do think Coastal Carolina covers. I think Grayson in this offense, which UCLA's probably had a hard time prepping for, just kind of combining old Tim Beck film and the, the film of Coastal Carolina last year, probably had a hard time. So I think they're going to be able to get into the end zone a lot, keep this game close. 
But I think my biggest reason for picking UCLA is just that defense at Coastal Carolina. They're going to have to show me first. We show, saw some bad things and some ugly moments from them last year. And that ultimately, I think, is what led to them having that rougher finish to the season and not performing in the conference championship game. And they're just going to have to show me that they can be a better defense. And I don't think it's a great matchup for them against UCLA. I think as far as points go, though, I'm going to take the over on this, too, just because I think there will be some new players in this game, some antiquating, maybe some mental errors. And I think both teams are going to get in the end zone pretty regularly. Well, Caden, uh, two picks so far this year, and I think we've agreed uh, for the most part on both of them, at least who's going to win those football games. The last two matchups we're going to preview in this episode, we're not actually going to make predictions for because both of them are against F- or FCS programs, but we wanted to take some time to you know, talk about these two matchups because of some major questions. So, Caden, we'll start by talking App State versus Gardner-Webb. This game's going to take place at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 Central on ESPN Plus on Saturday. App State, they're coming off of a season, Caden, well-documented, where they missed a bowl game for the first time in their FBS history. Gardner-Webb competed in the FCS playoffs last year for the first time in their history. The Mountaineers 6-0 all-time against Gardner-Webb. And, Caden, much like we've talked about in these other matchups for App State, what I'm interested to see is the play of Ryan Berger. He beat out Joey Aguilar in fall camp. Frank Ponce is back. Berger, as we've heard said many times this offseason, reminds Coach Clark of Zach Thomas for his dual threat ability. Again, I look back to that 2020 season that Zach had, and he accounted for almost 10% of the rushing yards for that team. Chase Bryce, when you look at him last year, only 5%. So it'll be interesting to see how the offense morphs this year. This will be, though, Berger's first real appearance uh, in a football game this, uh, this year, Caden. Yeah, it's burger time in Boone. I'm very excited to see this kid's debut. He's who we thought we were going to come out of this offseason saying as the starter, and he was. And I think just the fact that the quarterback battle was so closely contested this entire offseason and him being able to emerge and beat an experienced quarterback in Joey Aguilar, I think is huge for his confidence. And I think this game could be huge for this confidence. We know Garner Webb's not the best opponent ever, but it's going to be this kid's first App State home game as a starter. I've remember, I remember mine, and it was during covid and there was no crowd, and I wasn't playing quarterback. So I could not imagine a Ryan Berger's feeling before this one. So I think for App State fans, they're really just looking at this kid to show that he can live up to those Zach Thomas expectations. Can he move in the pocket? Can he move well with his legs? In his only appearance last year against Robert Morris, I really like some of the fundamental and sound stuff he had, so I'm not worried about that. More so worried about him from the neck up. Can he perform? Can he take the weight and expectations and carry that burden of being an App State quarterback because they've had such a good history of that in the past? Yeah, certainly it will be fascinating to see a lot of high hopes for uh, Ryan Berger. There's actually a a burger already named for him at the Cardinal up in Boone. I think I'm going to have to try it on, on my next visit to Boone, North Carolina. Caden, I'm really interested in this matchup to see how Berger utilizes some of his weapons. They're bringing back their top four wide receivers, Deshaun Davis, Caden Robinson, Christian Horn, Dalton Stroman. You've also got Makai Jackson there. You've got Nate Noel in the backfield. Caden, this uh, wide receiver unit particularly is much more experienced than last year's unit that had 251 yards per game caught through the year. Yeah, I think my biggest question with Ryan Berger is who's going to be his favorite target? Who's going to be his go-to guy? And he has plenty of options. When I talked to Tyreek Funderburk, the cornerback, I asked him who was the hardest guy to cover. And he said Caden Robinson, which I think would surprise some people. But he's a big body that played at UCF. Showed flashes of being able to get behind defenses last year. You have Deshaun Davis in the slot as well, who's going to be very slippery and very hard to cover and closer to the quarterback in that slot position. So he could be an easy access guy. Then when they get in the red zone, you have Dalton Stroman, who you could throw it up to. And Christian Horn is that steady number one receiver you can rely on. And I think another thing to look out for is the tight end position. Heard great things about Miller Gibbs out of camp. Eli Wilson as well 
out of camp. So I think that's going to be a position he can maybe use as well. But I'm very curious to see a combination of who Coach Ponce kind of wants to target this year in the offense and how much balance he wants to see out of the run game. I know the run, running backs are a little bit beat up already. I think Anderson Castle already suffered from a broken foot injury this year. So I'm very curious to see the offensive balance between the pass and the run with Coach Ponce and ultimately who Berger decides to be his go-to targets in this first game because I think he'll have it at his disposal. Yeah, I think that'll be key for this game, really getting that offense kind of established. Caden, last thing I'm watching out for App State focused here is that front seven. Uh, I want to see what we see from the defensive line additions and Sean Collins and Michael Fletcher, plus guys like Marcus Clark and DeAndre Dingle Prince up front. And then, Caden, I want to also see just what's this linebacking unit going to look like, kind of Sands, Cobb, Dublin, and Hampton. For sure, it's definitely going to be a big point of emphasis and one of the things I'm most excited to see about this defense. I think just from a scheme standpoint, giving Slot Sloan a ton of time to prepare for an, for an offense that's a little bit undermanned compared to App State. Very excited to watch them fly around, and hopefully we can see that size pay off. You mentioned Michael Fletcher and Sean Collins. Those are the two guys I have my biggest eye on just because they're schematic and physical anomalies from what we've seen at App State. These are two giant defensive linemen. Very curious to see how these guys up front can push around some offensive linemen, maybe get a pulse of what this defensive front's going to look like. I always, I also have a big eye on Donovan Spellman starting at that edge rusher position. We saw Nick Hampton last year and Jalen McLeod play well in that position. That's just been a consistent stronghold for this defense over the years. Very curious to see if he can pick up his end of the bargain. But I think as far as linebacker goes, we saw what Andrew Parker was capable of. We know what Brendan Harrington is capable of, both physically and mentally for this team. More so worry about those edges, that anchor spot and that bandit spot. I think they're going to be good on the inside, but I'm very curious to see how that front seven kind of cohesively works with the outside linebackers and absolute scheme in this opener. Yeah, definitely important to see a resurgent App State defense this year. I feel like at times that let this team down last year. It probably led to them uh, missing a bowl game. So certainly App looking for a bounce back on defense. Those are some things to watch out for in their matchup against Gardner-Webb. Caden, last game we're going to preview on this episode. It's the James Madison game against Bucknell. It'll take place on six, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central on ESPN+. Plus. This is the first time that the Dukes are going to take the field since being crowned the Kings of the East last year. They shared that regular season title with Coastal Carolina. They'll face a Bucknell team, Caden, that has not had a winning record since 2014. Caden, in this matchup, more quarterback intrigue. James Madison, as of the recording of this episode, they have yet to name a starting quarterback. There has certainly been... A lot of tea leaves pointing to Alonzo Barnett being the guy who takes the field. That's what I'm hearing out of Harrisonburg currently. Uh, but there is still competition between Jordan McLeod and Brett Griffiths. Caden, if Barnett is the guy, which is the expectation at this point, he's coming in with limited experience at the collegiate level. He played in just two games last year. He had a great spring and really got a leg up early in fall camp. He brings a dual threat ability, which we know this coaching staff loves. What are your expectations for Alonzo Barnett as the starter of this Dukes football team? Yeah, I have very standard expectations, if that makes sense, like a straight five on the expectation scale. I don't expect him to have a Todson Teo-esque opening game of the season by any means. It could happen. I'm not ruling it out. But I think just winning the starting job at JMU isn't easy. He had to fight for his reps in a crowded quarterback battle if he does win. He earned them. He made the most of them and won this job with those big performances in those scrimmages, like you mentioned. I think that's a big deal at James Madison, given the history. So I think that comes with some expectations. But just given what they had last year, you can't have sky high expectations 
out of the roof. I love that he has that dual threat ability. I think on paper, this offense from a skill perspective is a little bit undermanned compared to last year. I think that element of his game could be huge for this offense in certain situations. But at the end of the day, they're playing a team that's not very good. They've Bucknell's won four games in the last two seasons. Granted, two of those were in the last two games of last season. But I think if you're a JMU fan, you might want to see this quarterback light up the defense, however you want to call it. You want to see fireworks just going against a lesser opponent. But I think whoever plays, you want to see the little things done right. You want to see command of the huddle at the line of scrimmage, no turnovers, efficiency. That's what I want to see out of Barnett if he's playing in this one. I think he has a great opportunity to kind of put that all on display, show that he can do the fundamentals and the little things right for this offense, and hopefully that can take them a long way this season. He has a big job to carry that offensive momentum from last season into this season, but I think he's going to be capable of it with his abilities and just straight up winning this competitive quarterback battle. Hey, certainly big shoes for Alonzo Barnett to fill. Todd Centeno last year and some of the other great James Madison quarterbacks that have come uh, before him. But uh, best of luck to the young redshirt freshman if he indeed gets the start like many are expecting. Caden, the other aspect of this game, and I think for me, is I want to see this JMU defense. Uh, this is a team that allowed twenty, about 21 points per game last year, 20.9 to be exact. They give up just 79 yards per game or per game rather on the ground. And Kane, this was interesting. This is a JMU defense that's given up less than 90 yards per game in five of the last six seasons. When you talk about rushing attacks, they also had 38 sacks, which was tied for third in the Sun Belt. Although you are losing Edwards, who had six and a half sacks, Ukwu, who had seven and a half. Kane, the linebacking core largely intact. The secondary has some new faces. You'll feel good about this team if this defense is similar, right? Oh, yeah. This defense will be fantastic and I think could very well end the season being the undisputed best unit in the conference. Just given what they did last year and given what they returned this season, the front seven is still vicious, led by, led by James Carpenter in that interior. We've talked about the linebacking duo of Jalen Walker and Tarz Jones all offseason. They're going to be electric. And I think Bucknell struggles. I think Bucknell in this game is going to just struggle to run the ball with those three pieces just lining up very close to the ball every single play. I don't see Bucknell running the ball very well. We spoke highly of Chauncey Logan this offseason as well, an emerging corner. Curious to see those new pieces in the secondary, but they're going to have a ton of help underneath at the end of the day with the secondary this season. There might be some new faces and this opponent's a little bit lesser of one. So I think the front seven takes care of business. This one and kind of lightens the load on that secondary, but Bucknell's offense returns its quarterback and his leading rusher, but I expect this to be an absolute coming out party for JMU's defense, and I expect a shutout. Bucknell was shut out twice last season, once to a Holy Cross team who, breaking news, has a much less, <laughs> much worse defense than JMU is bringing to the table. So I think this will be a huge statement for JMU, JMU if they're able to shut this team out because it's looking like with some questions on the offensive side of the ball, maybe JMU does have to rely on their defense last year. Their defense was great last year, but just given their offensive fireworks, it was almost underappreciated just because looking at the box scores, that's what stood out was those big scores. So maybe this defense in this game and hope going forward into the season can prove, hey, we don't need a Superman Tots and Teo esque figure on the offensive side of the ball to be a winning team. We'll keep the other team off the scoreboard and the offense. Y'all just get in the paint a couple times and we'll be good. Okay, it's going to be hard to beat last year's start for this JMU defense. They gave a combined 16 rushing yards in the first two games of the year against Middle Tennessee State <laughs> and Norfolk State. Those are uh, video game-esque numbers. Caden, last thing up on this episode, we've got a couple more games just to make picks. These are the games uh, that the Sunbelt teams will play against FBS opponents. And let's go ahead and start with the game that begins at noon Eastern. That's Arkansas State traveling to Norman to take on Oklahoma, the Sooners. 
The current line right now, not in Arkansas State's favor. Uh, OU's a 35-point favorite in this game, over, under, at 58.5. Caden, how are you feeling about this matchup for Arkansas State? Yeah, I think Oklahoma wins this one, but I do think Arkansas State covers. Arkansas State didn't lose by 35 points last year to an Ohio State team that I think had much more firepower than this Oklahoma team. I think both offenses kind of hold up their ends of the bargain. I think Oklahoma is going to score a lot of points, but I think Arkansas State is going to be able to get into the end zone a little bit too. I think the run game is going to be a little bit better as we just talked about with Coach Jones. So I think I'm going to take Oklahoma to win. I do, I do think Arkansas State is going to cover, though, and I'm going to take the overall points on this one. I think it's going to be some fireworks. Well, I'm going the exact opposite. I've got Oklahoma covering in this game over Arkansas State, and I, though, am going to take the under in this matchup simply because I'm not sure how much offense Arkansas State is going to be able to provide to this equation. Uh, I think Oklahoma is going to put up some points, but maybe looking at a 45-10 game here, in my opinion, which would allow you to cover that spread. So, uh, that's how I'm leaning there. Okay, next up at the game at 7 p.m. Eastern, or yeah, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, ULM versus Army. It's going to be on the NFL Network. Army's a 10-point favorite in this game, over-under sitting at 47 and a half. Okay, I'll go first here. I've got Army covering in this game. I am, though, going to take the under. When you look at this Army team, they have beat ULM uh, multiple times in the last couple of years. I think they're going to do that again. I would love to see ULM play good in this game, but I'm also afraid that Army might come out and have a really good showing against the Warhawks. Yeah, I've got Army winning and covering. This is a matchup that got ugly last season. They lost 48-24 to in the middle of the season, and I still do worry about the Warhawks' run-stopping ability, and Army's going to bring it. I am taking the over on the points, though, compared to you. I do think points will be scored in this game. They were last year, and I think Army's defense did have some big losses last year, so maybe Jai Wright and those guys can get in the end zone a little bit more, but I that the rushing attack for Army is just prolific, and I think ULM was prolific and not quite stopping the run last season. Texas State at Baylor, Caden, 7 p.m., the start of the G.J. Kinney era. Baylor's a 27.5-point favorite, over-under at 62. How are you leaning in this matchup? I think Baylor wins, but I do think Texas State covers because up front, I th- actually think they're going to have the ability to hold their own. We talked about that revamped offensive line bringing in a ton of guys from Incarnate Ward, and I think they have enough pieces on the defensive line to keep this game within 27.5 points. It's a tough draw for DJ Kenny in his first game, but I'm really excited to see what this offense looks like. I think they'll score a couple times, but David Aranda's teams are usually no joke. I'm taking the under on points here. 62 is a lot, but I do think they're going to be able to cover at Texas State. Hey, I am buying the Texas State uh, hype, Caden. I've got Texas State covering in this game, much like you. I'm taking the over, though. I feel like this is a Texas State team that, who knows, in this first matchup, they might light up the scoreboard. I think Baylor can do the same, so 62 feels um, like it could be a possibility to go down. So that's how I'm leaning there. Caden, last game up. This one's at 8 p.m. Eastern, Old Dominion at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech comes in as a 16-point favorite over under at 48. Again, looking at this matchup, I've got Virginia Tech covering in this game. This is a Virginia Tech team. Didn't have a great season last year. Looking for a turnaround here in the second year under Brent Pry. Over under at 48. I'm going to take the under in this matchup. I'm going to take the under, but I think Old Dominion covers. I don't think this Virginia Tech team is anything impressive or surprising. And I think this Old Dominion team with their new life on offense and a new scheme is probably giving Virginia Tech something to worry about and something schematically that they haven't seen before. So I think Old Dominion is able to cover in this one and keep this game close. But I am going to take the under on the points. I don't think either team is really any kind of offensive firepower or powerhouse in the past. I don't think that's going to start in week one, but I do think Old Dominion is able to keep this game close, kind of similar to the way they were last year when they pulled off an amazing upset. 
Yeah, well, we will see. Certainly provided a lot of excitement early on in the year. A couple more games just on the schedule this weekend. Georgia State will open, or rather has already opened the season uh, against Rhode Island. Georgia Southern versus the Citadel. Marshall at Albany. Southern Miss versus Alcorn State. Troy versus Stephen F. Austin. And Louisiana versus Northwestern State. That's going to do it for our week one preview. Caden and I are both excited to kick our feet up and finally watch some Sunbelt football this weekend. Before you go, here's a quick reminder. We're going to be back on Monday. We'll be releasing our first weekend recap of the season. We'll look back on what will surely be an exciting week one and provide our analysis on some of the top games from the weekend. That'll do it for us here at the Ferrari and Smith podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please go leave us a five-star rating on either Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening to this podcast episode. Give us five stars. Let us know what we can be doing better and what you're enjoying uh, so far. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. 